I hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to drboystv.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. I want to say what's up to everybody. And I also want to do a quick audio check in case you we have not in case you cannot hear me. Uh, give me a yes if you can hear me okay. Let me know you can hear me all right. And also please hit that thumbs up button. Everybody hit the thumbs up button. Make sure you uh I hit the notification bell, subscribe, and all that stuff. Tonight, I'm going to talk about Mr. Suge Knight. I, I was watching a Suge Knight documentary today, and uh, it was uh, really dope. It's actually on Paramount. And Suge Knight, as you know, was the founder of Death Row Records, uh, founder and CEO. And I'm going to start off by basically saying for sure that Suge was a genius. I'm going to start right there with that, with my assessment, my analysis of Suge and his choices. But then I'm also going to talk a little bit about financial trauma and the economic lessons that can be learned from the rise and fall of Death Row Records. So uh, let me know if you can hear me. Give me a yes if you can hear me. Shout out the city you're from. Uh, make sure you shout out your city. Tell me also the name of your business. And we're going to get started on drboystv.com in three, two, one, and go. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Here we are. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. And I'll say what's up to Clarence Wilson from San Francisco. And I see you, Arnold and B. Boggs out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. William Phillips out of Chicago. Good to see you. Uh, I want to see I see Michael, Michelle Taylor, Joanne Dixon. Uh, so good to see all of you today. Shout out the name of your business. And uh, also let us know uh, that you be one. Put your be ones in the chat. And also let me know you can hear me okay. Give me a yes if you can hear me all right. All right. So uh, what's going on? Not an NFT crypto. I just came to say, okay, Ron Adams from Indianapolis. Good to see you. And James Keller and Feet Punkerson, my brother. Good to see you. All right. So let's hop into this. How many of you, yes or no, how many of you saw the Suge Knight documentary? Did anybody else watch this? It was on Paramount. Uh, if you haven't watched it, uh, I would encourage you to watch it. He did some interviews with Antoine Fuqua. And apparently uh, during these interviews, Suge was pretty revealing. Suge really talked <clears throat> a lot about death row and his upbringing. And, and it was the first time I ever saw Suge Knight's parents. You know, it was, that was really interesting, right? Because I never, you know, you just kind of think of a guy like Suge. You don't imagine him having parents. But you can learn a lot about an apple about what kind of tree that it came from. Now, what's it called? I can't even remember what it's called. I, I think if you just look up Suge Knight, it'll probably come up or something. But I don't remember what it's called. And I'm going to also uh, confess, I'm not 100% through it, but I saw some financial lessons in there that I just really thought, man, this will be interesting to talk about on a podcast. Because as, because as, as you guys know, because as you all know, in the Black Business School, we have the first ever Black Financial Therapy Department. This is where uh, we concluded, you know, my wife's a PhD therapist, and we realized that there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of psychological barriers to building black wealth. There's a lot of trauma, undiagnosed, untreated trauma in the black community that doesn't get dealt with. And I saw trauma all over the upbringing of Suge Knight. I mean, if you, if you watch this documentary, first of all, it's really good. It's really entertaining. Uh, you know, and I came in the, in that era, Tupac, NWA, all that. I'm even friends now with Ice Cube, which is kind of surreal. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see where all that came from. 
and 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 I'm and I'm gonna tell you guys that that Death Row Records was one of the great billion dollar economic opportunities in the black community that got lost. Right, Death Row Records wasn't just a multi billion dollar company waiting to happen. It could have spawned several other multi billion dollar companies. Right, so if you look at how many, uh, you know, Apple for example, Apple came out of Steve Jobs, another genius. He was a genius just like Suge Knight was a genius. Uh, but Apple became the largest company on earth, three trillion dollars of white wealth, primarily white wealth, right? But think about how many billion-dollar, trillion-dollar companies came out of Apple. Do you understand what I mean? Do you understand what you're losing when you lose that kind of economic opportunity because maybe the business wasn't done the right way or uh, or things just kind of didn't happen the way they should have? So I'm going to give you kind of some quick lessons in terms of some understandings of, of what happened with Suge, uh, ways to kind of uh, understand uh, this documentary and ways to apply it to your own life. I'm going to go through that very, very quickly. And also, I'm going to ask you really quick, could you please hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe. Also, I, I send out, you guys know I'm a, I'm a finance professor. So if you want to figure out what stocks to buy and you don't know what to do, uh, don't don't worry. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for investing and I will send you stocks that I like. So uh, if you want to get those profit alerts, just text the word stock to 87948 text stock to 87948. I was just giving advice to a young brother who's in the military. He's about 28, 29 years old. And I said, thank you for your service. And then he asked me a million and one questions about investing and everything else. And I said, I know you're going to be a very wealthy man. And he said, how do you know? I said, because you're asking questions, because you want knowledge, you want information. A lot of young people don't want information. And I, I can't make you, I can't force feed information. I, I, I know what where wealth comes from. I know where your money's at. I know how to increase your cash flow. I know how to build your business. I know these things. My PhD is in this stuff. But if nobody wants the information, if everybody's just getting on Google to learn how to twerk, then what can I do for that? Right. So I said, you're going to be wealthy because you're planning ahead. That's the mindset of an investor. So if you'd like to get more information on that or a five dollar day investing plan, things like that from the Black Business School, just text stock to eight, seven, nine, four, eight. OK. All right. So let's let's hop back into this conversation about Suge. All right. So so uh, one thing, one first thing that I would tell you, I've identified in the Suge Knight documentary on Paramount is that Suge had a lot of trauma. He was sitting there talking to Antoine Fuqua and Antoine asked him a question like he said, when was the first time you saw somebody get shot? Because, you know, Suge grew up in Compton and uh, he said five or six years old. And he told the whole story. He said a guy was with his wife and they were whistling at his wife and he didn't like that. And so he went back and he he tried he, he did the tough guy thing. Uh, with the guys that were whistling at his wife and they shot him in the face. That's what Shook said. He said, I was right there. It was loud as hell. It scared me, whatever, right? So five years old, he sees a person get killed, right? That's the first time. That's not the only time. It's several other times uh, growing up. And uh, and one of the things that that I want you to understand is that trauma affects you for the rest of your life. Trauma affects you mentally. It affects you physically. Uh, there, My wife introduced me. She's a certified trauma specialist. She introduced me to something called the ACES test. ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. This is something that we have a lot of our students take in the Black Business School to understand where you are on the trauma scale. And basically, if you're high on the trauma scale, you're more likely to die young. You're more likely to go to prison. You're more likely to end up on drugs. You're more likely to mess up your money. You're more likely to mess up your relationships. Give me a yes if you understand what I'm talking about. Let me know what if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so trauma is huge. Trauma isn't discussed because we think that being black means that you have to be traumatized in order to be black. Like, has anybody ever seen people engage in what I call the trauma Olympics? Let me know if you've ever seen this. Let me know if you've ever seen black people compete almost on who could tell the most traumatic story 
about their childhood. Like, well, you think you had it hard, man. Man, one time I watched my granddaddy get shot in the toe over a bologna sandwich. Well, you think you had it hard. Both my parents abandoned me when I was one. Like, oh, you think you had it hard, man. I, I had to, I got shot in the in, in the butt when I was when I was 80, when I was 12 years old, man. You know, like like we love that. We love the traumatic stories, right? And and the, the, here's the thing: people have monetized black trauma. They monetize black trauma. DJ Vlad monetizes black trauma. He makes millions of dollars getting black people to tell these crazy, horrible stories uh, about people getting shot, raped, stabbed, whatever. And they, and they make money off of that. Right? They make music off that. They make music celebrating their trauma. So so you think that, that that trauma is part of being black. So when somebody comes along and says, hey, I didn't you know, I, 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 I wasn't traumatized. I had a normal life. Um, you know, my parents were both together. They both loved me. Nobody smoked crack in my house. People don't even, they're like, oh, well, you ain't really black, right? They, they act like that's not really an authentic black experience. And I resent that. I think that's a big problem. I think you got to deal with that. Now, uh, let's move on. Now, by the way, Neil, you keep asking me about D1. Uh, I don't know anything about that question you keep asking. So please don't keep asking the same question, bro, because uh, if you do, I'm going to have to uh, remove you from the chat so we can all focus because I did, I'm not the guy. If you want to, if you have a question about somebody else, Please go to their platform and ask them. If you keep asking me over and over in the chat, then I'm going to have to remove you because it becomes very disruptive after a while. You said it once. You ain't got to say it 55 times. So if you are a troll, you must be a quiet troll because if you are loud, then I'm going to have to remove you. All right. So let's keep going here. All right. So next. Um, so let, let's let's talk about Suge Knight in terms of how that trauma might have affected the way he ran Death World Records. Well, one thing about trauma is that uh, tr most trauma experts will probably tell you that that trauma of growing up in South Central, where you didn't expect necessarily to live to the age of 25, can create the opposite of a wealth builder's mentality. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, give me a yes or no if you understand this. Wealth builders tend to have a long-term uh, perspective. Wealth builders sacrifice today so they can have more tomorrow. Give me a yes if you understand what I'm saying. Wealth builders uh, are willing to live a few years like nobody else will so they can spend the rest of their life living like nobody else can. Let me know if you know what I'm talking about. Right. So uh, the thing about about growing up in all that trauma is that if you're growing up in all that trauma in South Central and you're getting shot at every day on your way to school and you've gone through hell in a handbasket and you've just seen the worst, you've seen your friends die. Well, you're not thinking about the next 20 or 30 years. You know, there was nobody in 1993. Very few people in South Central, very few young brothers in, in South Central in 1993. I'm willing to bet or even South Side of Chicago or in New York City, et cetera, who in 1993, who were thinking about the year 2023. I, I, I bet you that, that if you went to 1993 and you said, how many of y'all have spent any time thinking about the year 2023? The answer would be zero. Like nobody would, would be thinking that, right? So wealth builders tend to think long-term, but traumatized people think short-term. Uh, wealth builders tend to think about thriving. Traumatized people think about surviving. You understand? So the reason that a lot of us in our community can't play poweronomics is because we spend a lot of our time playing strugglenomics. Let me know if you know what I'm talking about, right? Strugglenomics is where you're not thinking about the next 10 years. You're thinking about the next 10 days. So that trauma that Suge experienced, I'm willing to bet you led to a short-sighted mentality, right? So there was nothing in him saying like, wait a minute, I could build death row into a multi-billion dollar behemoth that can take care of my great-grandchildren because I bet you the 24-year-old Suge Knight wasn't thinking about his great-grandchildren. He was thinking about next week. Uh, also, one thing about trauma, I saw one part in the documentary where he talked about how he went into the bank 
he had a big check he wanted to deposit in the bank. And one thing that he said was he went into the bank and he told them that in order for me to give you my check, you got to show me the cash. You must take me in the vault and show me that you actually have money. And uh, and and that they said, well, we don't do that. We don't show our money like that. And they, he said, well, you, I need you to do that if you want my check. So they took him in the vault and they showed him that, yeah, look, this is where we have cash. And he said at that point, that's when he said, OK, I'm rich. I now I know I'm rich. And it reminded me of a part in the Muhammad Ali documentary where Don King was going to offer Muhammad Ali one hundred thousand dollars cash. He said uh, he said Muhammad Ali's from the from the hood. He said kids from the hood, they would rather have one hundred thousand cash in a briefcase than a check for a million dollars. Right. And what that speaks to is the lack of trust that traumatized people have. Right. If you've ever been if you've been traumatized and you have, find that sometimes you have a hard time trusting people, raise your hand. Give me a yes in the chat. If you find yourself in this category, let me know. Give me a yes. If you're a person that has a hard time trusting people. I know I do. I, I do. I and, and because not just because of childhood trauma, but also because of adult trauma. You know, since I you know, once I started doing more stuff that was more public and, you know, my videos have been seen by over half a billion people. So you meet a lot of people. I go to a lot. Of, I've been to a lot of cities, met a lot of different types of people. And sometimes I would get traumatized because I would trust somebody and they would just do something really horrible. And I'd be like, man, like maybe I was too trusty. Maybe I, and then, and then people say, boys, you were being too nice. You just need to stop being nice to people. I'm like, I'm supposed to be mean to everybody. Well, I don't want to be mean to everybody. I don't, so, so, so it's a hard balancing act. That trauma kicks in because I'm a traumatized kid. So your first reaction is a, what they call a trauma response. The trauma response is, man, I'm not, I'm not getting close to nobody because I don't want to get hurt. I want to get stabbed. Right. If, you, if you're over there and I'm over here, then you can't stab me from way over there. Right. So ultimately, Suge Knight, uh, because of his trauma, I argue, I'm guessing I'm speculating. I don't know Suge and I'm not here to talk about his life. Just as a fun, a fun fact, though, I, I did uh, become friends. I went I did an event in South Central and uh, and I was, I was a little concerned because Dr. Dre was real mad at me because I just written an article about all that money he gave to USC and he didn't give any of that money to HBCUs at the time. Now, I think he's done some stuff since then, so I'm not going to be hard on him, nothing like that. But I was pissed. I was livid that you gave all that money to these damn white kids who don't even need it. And you got all these black kids at HBCUs that are just struggling or whatever. But then whatever. I'm not here to hate. I'm not here to be mean or nothing. But uh, but I was but I went to South Central and I did an event in the bookstore that's owned by the brother who created Kwanzaa. Uh, give, give me, type his name in the chat. I'm so bad with names. Uh, no, it's not Kanjufu. That's just Juwanza Kanjufu. No. Uh, anyway, Malena Karanga. Malena Karanga. That's it. And uh, so I did the event there. And I remember that it was, it was, I, I, I appreciated the love. It was totally like 100% packed, like totally sold out. And when I was there, there was a guy that came up to me. His name was Alonzo. And Alonzo, who later on sent me a copy of his book, I didn't know this, but Alonzo, his book is called NWA not without Alonzo. And so Alonzo told me that he is the guy that introduced Easy to Ice Cube to Dre to you know, all that stuff, right? Now, is that true? I yeah, I I assume it is. He that's what he said, but I could be wrong. I know he know he knew Dre or whatever. So so it was really interesting to kind of get a chance to talk to people who were there, who were kind of a part of the whole movement. And uh and I really think that they have something special there. But at the same time, though, now now you're seeing though kind of a moment of reckoning within hip hop. If you're watching what's been going on, there's been a lot of accusations being thrown around about people doing this, people doing that. Uh, you know, people connected to uh, to let's say the less masculine elements of the music industry, uh, guys who pretend to be tough guys who really are, you know, bending over and letting somebody feel their booty so they can get a record deal. And uh, and I think that that is the interesting chickens coming home to roost in the sense that uh, in the sense that gangster rap emerged and it was kind of uh, encouraged to be this really debaucherous 
culture of outlaw behavior where there were no limits. You could do whatever you wanted. You could go if you go sleep with whoever you could do whatever you can grab somebody's butt if you want to or whatever. And now it started to become litigious. Now people that were part of that culture all those years are coming back and filing lawsuits. I think Diddy is, is in trouble. But remember, Diddy had a lot of friends. Diddy's connected to Jay-Z. He's connected. You know, you got all a lot of Snoop Dogg's names being tossed around now. A lot of names are being tossed around for two key reasons. One is related to inappropriate behavior, uh, which which is going to be interesting to see how that lays, how that works, how that plays out. Number two, there is a lot of, um, shall we say, gayness in the industry. And I think that the that that part of it, that gayness comes from the fact that the music industry, remember this rap music came from us from the from the bottom up. But the money comes from the top down. The music came from the bottom up, but the money came from the top down. The funding came from the top down. So so the people funding hip hop did not look like the people who were creating hip hop. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jerry Heller was not the same ethnicity as Easy e right? Uh, Jimmy Iovine is not the same ethnicity as Dr. Dre. Right. Do you follow what I'm saying? Clive Davis ain't the same ethnicity as Diddy. Right. So so what is really going on, in my opinion, is I think that some of that 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 behavior, I, I, I link um, I link sexually inappropriate behavior to uh, the encouragement of rampant drug abuse. I really believe this. I believe that the, that the the encouragement of drug use, because Hollywood and the music industry is full of people that love drugs because I guess it brings out their creative energy. But it also brings out uh, an experimentation that we don't necessarily have in the black community because the black community is inherently a little bit more conservative. Your grandma and your grandfather would, wouldn't have you out here acting a damn fool. But you get in that space where, you know, you're going to bar mitzvahs and shit like that. And and then and then the guy who's who's writing the big checks, Mr. Clive Davis and people like that are are encouraging you to come to parties where people experiment with the drugs, which opens the door to be other forms of behavior that aren't necessarily rooted in blackness. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? I'm trying to talk in code so I don't sound like I'm being homophobic or being mean or nothing like that or call nobody out. Do y'all get what I'm saying? Right. So so this is what I'm seeing. So I think that this is going to be um, an interesting reckoning because you got to understand that 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 those people that write those big checks are people who favor certain kinds of black people. Like they don't want my my masculine heterosexual ass up in there like that. They don't want people like me around. You know, uh, they, they, they want the, they, they, they tend to elevate certain kinds of black people. I, I still remember. Let me take give you one example. Then I'm going to move on from this. But um. But I remember hearing Richard Pryor say something that I've never heard a black man say. I've never heard a black man say this before. And I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, he said, uh, I slept with a man for three weeks just to see what it was like. And I didn't like it. So I went back to sleeping with women. How many black have, has anybody ever heard a, a heterosexual brother ever say that? Again, nothing against people that are that are not heterosexual. So don't, let's just be clear. Have you ever like if you sit down with your boys and you watching, you know, uh, the, the Bears against the Cowboys and your man says, <clears throat> he said, yeah, I, uh, I, I you know, I, I was wondering if I would like to take it up the butt. And so I just decided to give it a try. And, and then I put a little something in my mouth just to see what it tastes like. Like, like guys don't regular. I'm sorry. I don't know about y'all, but just where I come from, that's just not a regular conversation amongst men who uh, who are in the tradition of the black community. Right. That's some that's some weirdo Hollywood shit. Now, here's the thing. I believe that drugs, that extensive use of drugs 
is, is part of what opened Merchant Pryor's mind to exploring these other forms of, of expression. That's that's what I believe. Like I believe, like if you give somebody a bunch of dope, that's why um the whole in, in lawsuit with Cassie was so interesting because most of the time when you hear about freak offs, there's also drugs and alcohol involved because you want to get people in a in an altered mind state. You want uh you want you want to do something that's going to be mind altering. And what I really wanted to just Uncle Boyce speaking here. This is Uncle Boyce talking. I want to warn brothers about being careful about being sucked into cultures that encourage you to consume substances that alter your mind because when they alter your mind they make you vulnerable uh so you can be you're vulnerable to getting beaten raped attacked robbed all this other stuff but then also you become vulnerable to bad decision making so you wake up and you don't even remember half of what you did but somebody's got you on video doing some stuff that your mama would not be proud of or some stuff that might get the police at your door or get you sued later on. So I've, I'm a big believer. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, uh, Andrew Tate, I, I'm not, you know, I know Andrew Tate's controversial and all that, but I'm going to tell you one thing I like about Andrew Tate is he ain't no punk. One thing about Andrew Tate that I love that I love is they asked him, they said, uh, they said, they said, do you, do you ever try cocaine? And he said, he said, he was like, well, well why would I do cocaine? You know how he talks. And, uh, and, he, and he said, well, you know, you ever tried that? He said, no, he said, because, he said, if I if I do if I use that drug, then one of two things is gonna happen. Either I'm gonna try it and I won't like it, and, and then I'll be mad that I tried it, or I'll try it and I'll start doing cocaine and I won't like that either. So either way, I if I try it, it's gonna be a bad outcome, right? And I, that's that's a great way to summarize, right? Like that, and that's literally to me why I think black people, especially black men. And black women, too. I think the whole black community should have a zero tolerance policy on drugs because we've seen what drugs have done to our people. We see what drugs have done to our community. You know, so and I know that the Clive Davises can write big checks and all that stuff. And I know y'all want to be next to the celebrities, but y'all got to understand, you know, a lot of the celebrities that you love are really dysfunctional human beings. Like they are really troubled people. They are an inch away from jumping off a building like they 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 hate themselves. They that you know, so so why would you want your that? For your ch children don't get distracted by big shiny objects don't get distracted by the money again my phd is in money i can show you how to make money in ways that allow you to still keep your integrity you don't have to go sell your soul to hollywood you understand what i'm saying okay give me a guess if you follow all right so i'm gonna stop on that point we're gonna get back to suge knight if you could please hit the thumbs up button thumbs up share subscribe i want to remind everybody that i'm doing a, a 30 days to financial consciousness training camp starting january 1st through january 30th for it takes 30 days to form a new habit so every morning at 10 a.m online we're gonna meet and we're going to do a financial lesson and it's going to come out of my book 30 days to wealth and power it so the the cost of the course is 299 but if you want to join uh you can actually get access for free just by getting a copy of the book now the course sold out we ran out of books but since you guys asked me to make more slots we did so if you go to drboycebooks.com uh hit the search box at the top look for 30 days Type in the word 30 days, the ebook the e will come up. So if you get a copy of the ebook, we'll let you in with the ebook or a physical copy. I'm going to get some more physical copies this week. Uh, but if you get, even if you have the ebook, we'll still let you in. And I guarantee at the end of those 30 days, your financial consciousness will be at a higher level. You'll understand money better. You'll know where your money is. You'll know how you view money. You'll understand your relationship with money because I want you to be rich and I want you to be paid and I want you to be economically independent. Because one of the things that we have to understand as black people is that part of the reason that we get into so much buffoonery, and slave-like behavior and embarrassing behavior is because 
We don't have money. We're desperate to obtain it. And the people that can write the big checks pretty much tell us to tap dance in order to get access to their funds. Right. That community that the Clive Davis has come from, they don't send their kids to twerking school or to football camp. They send their children to Harvard and Yale so they can get master's degrees and law degrees and MBAs. Well, Clive Davis was sitting next to Whitney Houston her whole life. So, so process this. I want you to think about this. I thought about this during the Whitney Houston documentary. I said, isn't that interesting that this mediocre little short ass white man is sitting next to a, a woman who is probably one of the most talented singers on the entire planet. She had to compete against millions of other people to get a chance to sit next to him in his office. He didn't have to do anything except go to Harvard Law School and learn how to write contracts and learn how to do business, right? So I want our kids to have the same options as everybody else. That's what true equality looks like. Equality ain't about marching and praying and singing, we shall overcome. Equality is not about voting for the Democrats in every election. Equality is not about Black Lives Matter. Equality is about understanding those economics and getting those economics in your community so you can make a dollar without selling out. You can make a dollar without sitting around listening. It's crazy to me when I see people that are literally going online and getting financial advice from rappers. They're listening to rappers. They're listening to the Diddies and the Rick Rosses, and they're thinking that this is actually good financial advice. What in the hell do your finances have to do with Rick Ross or Diddy, right? And, and Diddy's going to lose a bunch of his wealth anyway. So I would encourage you that instead of getting occupied by big, shiny objects, pay attention to the business owners and the wealth builders in your community. There's a woman named Juiced Up Reese who's in the Black Business School right now who is building a juicing empire where she's homeschooling her kids and they're good so she's promoting health in the black community and she's on her way to making millions of dollars and not selling out her soul the brothers that do the hardly initiated podcast came out of the black business school these brothers are doing one of the hottest podcasts in the entire country. They And they're having great conversations about black love, black relationships, black family, uh, black intelligence. And then they're giving a platform to the best ideas in our community. This is what I'm talking about. This is my vision in terms of what a solid community looks like. It's one where you can do right by yourself and still make money at the same time. It's one where you can build an economy around things that are healthy instead of building economies around things that are unhealthy, right? You can actually build wealth off of righteousness instead of building wealth off of debauchery. I know rappers that are gangster rappers, but I also know rappers like D1. D1 is a guy who literally was doing so well financially that he was able to walk away from a consistent offers to sign with Cash Money Records. He also walked away from a deal with Epic Records because he said, this does not fit my soul. He then went on and became uh, a person that's literally transforming all the hip hop. So what I would say to you at the end of the day is that you can't make your money in on your terms. You don't have to sell your booty in order to make a couple dollars. That's nonsense. That's what we do when we're desperate, when we're not getting the proper training. Our kids should be trained on this from birth. Give me a yes if you understand. Give me a yes if you agree. So anyway, if you want to join that 30-day class that starts on January 1st, just go to drboysbooks.com. Go to the top. Search for 30 days. Also, my wife, who is a licensed therapist and a full, full professor of social work, uh, she actually heads our Black Financial Therapy Department. She's written lots of books on financial anxiety, on trauma, on building healthy families, healthy relationships, etc., uh, her books are there too. Just look up the word Alicia in the search box and you can find all the Dr. Alicia's workbooks. Okay, so let's go back into Suge Knight real quick and let's kind of kind of nail this down. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Don't forget this podcast is on Spotify. Uh, if you want to look, if you look up my name on Spotify, you'll find it there. Okay, so so speaking of Suge, in terms of, of Suge and Pac and and Snoop, I, I, I can tell you these three guys, they, they were kind of the the, the 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 big three in hip hop at one time. I mean, these, these three guys were 
uh, the kings of everything. They had the world at their feet. Uh, if you look at the, that picture right there of Snoop, Snoop Shug and um, and 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 uh, Pac, uh, basically Pac is gone. Uh, you know, Shug is in prison and Snoop is uh, still around and he seems to be thriving. Now, Snoop is in danger, I think, because now there are all these allegations. People like Jaguar Wright are bringing Snoop's name into uncomfortable conversations. I'd be curious to see how that plays out for him for the next 10 years. But up until this point, Snoop has actually survived and seemed to have done well. And he seems like his energy has been very positive for a very long time. And I admire and respect that. Now, one thing about uh, the Suge Knight documentary in terms of how trauma affects the way you do business is that the other thing that trauma can do and, and, and that particular type of street culture trauma is that the street culture can can sort of shape how you do business. Right. You're not doing business the way people might do in a boardroom. You're doing business in the way people might do, you know, on the corner. Right. So ultimately, what what happens then is that when you look at death row records and you hear about the way they negotiated the vanilla ice contract, right? You remember the story about vanilla ice being hung out the window or, or the Suge threatened to throw him off a balcony. And then Jerry Heller told a story where he said that, um, that he was doing something. I think he said, Dr. Dre or somebody reached out about renegotiating their contract. And he got there and Suge Knight was there with base with, with some uh, guys with baseball bats. And he ended up having to sign away the rights to, uh, to Dr. Dre. I don't know what else he signed away. Uh, and so effectively what can happen is that, uh, that this sort of culture, remember I told you in my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, I talked to you extensively about how economics is based on culture. So if you're talking about, say, street culture, uh, street culture does not typically work very well when you're talking about building uh, a business that's going to last for a long time. Uh, building business requires something that I encourage every young black man to develop. Uh, and there are ways to develop this uh, emotional intelligence, knowing how to manage your emotions. That means sort of understanding, look, if I am a person who's been heavily traumatized, then I'm going to get triggered. I'm going to get pissed. I'm going to want to throw somebody out the window, punch them in the face, cuss them out, cut them off, whatever. And I'm going to tell you, the people that tend to do well, the people that tend to make the most money, the people that where money tends to follow them as opposed to run away from them, uh, the people that tend to get the opportunities tend to be the people that have extensive emotional intelligence. Uh, when I worked extensively with Russell, Russell, uh, um, oh, my gosh, Ru Russell Simmons. Thank you. I was going to say Russell Wilson. I never worked with Russell. Russell Simmons. I, I was very impressed with Russell Simmons' emotional intelligence. He had he had just a type of balance. And I think it's because of all that meditation and stuff that he does, it, it works. I'm telling you, it works. Uh, his conflict resolution skills are, are on level 10. Uh, he's very good at managing relationships with lots of people. Uh, he was very energetic and enthusiastic about always pursuing new ideas. He had an endless network of people that that wanted to work with him because they knew that he wasn't going to come with no nonsense. He wasn't going to come with no craziness. He wasn't going to come with no BS. He was going to come with and follow through on the things that he said he was going to do. So as a result, when Russell Simmons' career was was stronger, it's, it's not as strong as it, as it was in the past. Let's be clear about that. Uh, but when it was the strongest, you saw a guy who became an absolute power broker within hip hop. Why? Well, because he had an amazing ability to manage all these relationships with all different kinds of people. And uh, and I'm going to tell you another person who does that really well. It's, it's going to sound crazy that I say this because I don't like I don't agree with any of his politics, but I can give credit where it's due is Al Sharpton. I sat next to Al Sharpton and I watched Al Sharpton negotiate hundreds and hundreds of friendships with lots and lots of people. He's met everybody. He can tell a million and one really interesting stories. He's he's the most interesting person to sit next to. I sat next to him several times for four or five hours at a time. He's one of the most interesting people to sit next to 
because the stories are just amazing. Uh, the three three prominent people that I can remember that, that just have really good stories uh, were, were Russell Sim. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, um, Al Sharpton. Uh, who's an, uh, 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 oh gosh, what's where's I'm, I'm losing the name. Uh, Louis Farrakhan. That's another one. Talking to Farrakhan's amazing. Uh, Wendy Williams actually was interesting to talk to because I saw a different side of Wendy that than the public sees, right? Like the whole gossipy stuff. There's like an, a, a, a sort of fundamental intelligence that's that, that's rooted there, and that's consistent amongst a lot of New Yorkers. A lot of New Yorkers who are very successful, they have a superpower that very few people have. They have the ability to survive, and they can compete, and they can be they can go through tough experiences and just sort of stand out. And the same thing is true, maybe we'll say with South Central, right? South Central. You have a lot to negotiate, a lot to manage. I think that that experience can be harnessed <laughs> into a superpower. It can be made into rocket fuel that takes you to the highest levels, but you got to manage it, right? It's just like with a rocket ship. Uh, rockets are full of energy. Rockets are full of fire. Rockets are big explosions. And what happens is that if you don't control the explosion, then the whole rocket will blow up and the rocket won't go anywhere. But if you can manage that energy, harness that energy through emotional intelligence, self-control, self-discipline, and, and then sort of take that energy and use that as a form of toughness, let me know if you know what I'm talking about, then that that rocket can go further than anybody else's rocket, right? So I think that Suge Knight, here's what I'm going to say about Suge. This is going to be my conclusion on him as in general. Suge Knight's a genius. Suge Knight is an absolute freaking genius. He was a damn genius, and he and he was a, a badass. He had everything he needed to be successful at the absolute highest levels. Suge had two things that titans of industry tend to have. He had balls and he had brains. Balls and brains. He wasn't scared. He didn't seem to be scared of hardly nothing. And he was really smart. He, he talked about the NFL as a big plantation. Uh, and, and he said, I was, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but he played in the NFL for a year. And he said that uh, he said that they treat black people terrible. Uh, you're like a big old slave and it's like a big old plantation. And I was like, man, that's great. I love the fact that he said that. And and and, and it was and he wanted more for himself. Right. He said, you know, I'm the big guy and people think that you're big and you're black and you're dumb. And he said, no, I can still be the smartest person in the room. And I think that he was very smart. And he talked about his up next experience because I was so curious. I was like, how did how do you create a Suge Knight? Right. His environment molded him into who he was good and bad. Right. You know, and again, I know he's in prison. I know he's in prison. But remember, a couple of different a couple of decisions done in a different way, a little more emotional intelligence would have completely shifted his whole trajectory. Right. So there's a million Suge Knights in the black community in terms of black men that have that same propensity, that same trauma, that same, those same triggers where just one little decision, one little decision, like my man, Vigilante, Vigilante's out of Kansas City. He's a, his name's Roger Suggs also. He's a community activist and a rapper. He, he has a saying that where he says a second can last a lifetime where one decision, that decision to pull out the strap and shoot somebody or, or, or walk away or that decision to slap punch that woman in the face or, or walk away or that decision to get revenge or not get revenge can change everything, can change everything. I, I know a guy who just got out of jail at, after 30 years over a decision he said that he literally made in a split second in 1992. He made that split second decision in 1992. And y'all know how the world is. The world don't give the black man too many second chances. The world get, puts the black man in a spot where your margin of error is so thin that it's just unfair. It's ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely oppressive. It's absolutely terrible.
I wrote about this. I wrote a book on this in 2004 called What If George Bush Were a Black Man? And uh, and I don't know if you can get it on Amazon. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. I got a few copies at my house. Maybe I'll put it up at Dr. Boyce Books so you can search for it. I'll tell my team to uh, make whatever copies we have available because it's not in, I don't think it's in print anymore. But but. You know, but the thing was, the thing is that I always notice this, and this is one of the reasons why I've always been an advocate for telling brothers like stay away from drugs and alcohol, man, because because these suckers, these these people, Malcolm X said it. Malcolm X said the white man will sell you liquor, the liquor bottle, and then he'll lock you up for being drunk. And so when I look around hip hop and I see all the nonsense that's, that's happening right now, I see all these lawsuits coming out, and I see more on the horizon. I see all these victims popping up out of nowhere, which you don't even know who's really a victim and who's not, who was a willing participant and who wasn't. All they know, they, they smell blood in the water. I just say, gosh, I think some of that could have been avoided if maybe we were in a, um, you know, in, in a better environment as human beings. You know, if we if we were just able to just, you know, it, teach our sons to make smarter choices if we were able to teach our sons emotional intelligence at an early age, if we were to teach our sons just basic discipline, if, 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 if our sons even understood that they are in the middle of a war, like if they really understood, like I don't think they, un I think that that's how they really get you is they get you to let your guard down. I think that's one of the things that they do. I think they really get you to let your guard down and then you let your guard down. And next thing you know, <clears throat> next thing you know, they, <laughs> Next thing you know, they, they get you to the point where it's kind of like, you know, they get to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, well, those things that we encouraged you to do, those things that we told you were cool and all right, those things we were paying you to do before. Oh, now we've changed the rules. Now we're going to punish you for all those things. It reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you ever saw the Wiz. There was a part in the Wiz where, by the way, Feet Funkus and I did make you a moderator, man. I I've seen you here enough, so I trust you. So uh, so yeah. So if you see some people up in here acting a fool, you you know what to do, man. Go ahead and do what you got to do. So don't mess around because I've I've seen Feet Funkus in here a lot. He seems like a good brother, and I, I respect you immensely. So thank you so much for all your support. All right. So uh, <clears throat> but but anyway, in the Wiz, there was that part in the beginning where the Wiz is like, you know, the color the color is now red, and everybody wears red, and they're like. I wouldn't be seen dead not wearing red. And they were all just kind of like skating around in, in, in red. Then he's like, no, 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 no. Red is an ugly color. The color now is green. And then suddenly everybody starts wearing green. And they're like, I wouldn't be called dead wearing red, right? So the thing that they, they, they used to encourage is the thing that you now get punished for, right? That's how the white man Wizard of Oz does, does to you, right? The, or the... the the, the white man of eyes, right? The, the white wizard of eyes. That's what they do. They, they, they tell you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go be a gangster. Go be a thug. Go get drunk. Go get high. Go act a fool. Go rape women. Go act, get, get, you know, have freak offs. And we're going to reward you for that. We're going to make you more famous, more popular because we love that rock star lifestyle. But then years later, they'll be like, oh, no, well, what you did actually 14 years ago, that was actually technically now that's illegal. And so now you can be uh, now you can be sued. Um, you know, for your behavior. Right. And then next thing you know, you're like, well, wait a minute. Back in 2002, you thought that was cool. Then back in 2002, R. Kelly albums were considered to be good things. Right. When he would push the limits. Right. Every album would be like, I get you know, I, I used to have five girls in the truck. Now I got 12 and I got your daughter back here, too. And and we all have a sex out in the after party. Right. And you love that. Right. Because it came with a nice beat and he had a great voice. And uh, and I would just say that. 
that you got to be really careful because they'll it's almost like they'll tell you to keep walking out into the field further and further and further. So you, you stretch the limits. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And then you find out that there's landmines in that field that they told you to walk into. And so I think, generally speaking, that that conservatism that your grandparents have, that natural conservatism that black people have who've been dealing with racism for a long time, you need to, that needs to kick in. Like, so for example, I'm, I've always been the black, the, the person that understands that when you're black, you don't go get drunk at the office party. You don't go do what everybody else is doing at the office. You do what your mom and daddy told you to do and be careful. So anyway, that's my belief. That's my two cents. So let me finish up on this Suge Knight conversation. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, share, uh, make sure you subscribe, stuff like that. And, uh, and, 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 you know, one, one thing I did not too long ago was I was talking about uh, the, the love and money. And, and, and one thing I want you to notice about a lot of these conversations that are happening online where they're talking about money is uh, or they're talking about relationships is that most of these relationship conversations that they're having online on like the hardly initiated podcast and other platforms have to do with money. And uh, and years ago, I wrote a book called Financial Lovemaking, which is all about scientific research in terms of how money affects relationships and how relationships affect money. And uh, and I'm going to tell you, it's uh, it's 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 real deep and it's worth understanding uh, if you really want to get insights into this, because what I'm hearing a lot is I hear women that will say, uh, you know, I'll only date a man if he can afford to spend so much on a date. Or I don't I refuse to date a man who's below my economic level. And then you'll but then you'll hear men who will say, you know, uh, I won't get married because the financial risk is too high or I won't get married because I can't afford to feed multiple people or uh, I don't want to spend more than X amount of dollars on a date if I don't really know you. So there's a lot of conversation that involves relationships and money. And some of it you can get away from, some of it you can't, some of it's based on science, some of it's based on society. And I encourage you to really understand that so you're not constantly confused and you'll kind of know what to look for. So if you want to get a copy of that book, Financial Lovemaking, just go to drboycebooks.com. It's also available on Amazon. It's going to be on Audible really soon. A lot of my books are going to be on Audible. So if you go to Audible and look up my name, Boyce Walkers, you can find the books there. I think it'll help kind of provide some perspective so that we're not constantly guessing, right? Like we're constantly guessing. We're constantly like trying to figure it out. And, and I really think that you want to study this. Like, like really, I was thinking about this. I was talking to somebody today. I forgot who it was. Dr. Christina Parks. Who, she has a PhD in molecular, cell and molecular biology from um, the University of Michigan. Super smart lady. And I said that, you know, I, I would almost think that if we want our, if we, if you wanted your kids to be successful, you would have them study the things that matter in their life. And I said, the only things that really matter, you know, when you get to a certain age, the main things that matter are health, wealth, and relationships. Like, are you physically and mentally healthy? Uh, do you have enough cash flow and financial security? And do you have good relationships with yourself and with the people that you want in your life that are actually propelling you forward as opposed to holding you back? Bad relationships can kill your wealth. They kill your health. Or good relationships can enhance your health. They can enhance your wealth. Do you understand what I'm saying? More wealth can enhance your relationship quality. It can also enhance your health. More health can help you in your wealth and your relationships, right? So all three of those, health, wealth, and relationships are like siblings that all work together and interact. And one feeds into the other. And I was so I said, you know, if you want your kids to be ready for the future, then train them on all those 
areas. We train them on health, train them on what to eat, what not to eat, uh, mental health, like meditation, you know, things to keep your mental health positive. There's there's science out there. There's easy stuff you can learn that will help you in those areas. Train them on wealth. Where's the money at? How do you achieve financial security? What does financial security look like? Do you understand how many people out here are just stressed out like crazy because they don't know basic things about wealth and financial security? I'm not making fun of it. I'm not. I get it. I understand. I have a PhD, so some things that seem simple to me are complex to other people. I get that. But I told um, this young brother the other day, uh, a young soldier, he's in the Navy. I said, you know, I, I gave him the $5 a day investing plan that we do in the Black Business School. And I said, if you do that, if you just simply uh, put, a, you know, I think we talked about $100 a week. I said, if you put $100 a week into an S&P 500 fund and don't sell it, then you, you're going to be wealthy in about 10 to 15 years. Like you're going to have more money than most people out here. It's not hard. A, a five-year-old can do it. I said, where people make the mistake is that they overthink it. They, they get mad because they think it's supposed to be really hard. It ain't, it ain't got to be hard. And by the way, if you want that $5 a day plan, just text the word stock to eight six. 89748. Text stock to 89748. I'm going to put that on the screen. Text the word stock to 89748. I'll give it to you for free. Also, uh, the, the, uh, the Black Financial Therapy Department can send you some things on mental health and wellness uh, if you text the word wellness to that same number. So there's two different lists. Uh, if you text the word wellness to 89748, then Dr. Alicia will send you stuff from her archives that'll help you with your mental health. And then if you text stock to 89748, I will send you uh, financial stuff that'll make you write uh, money-wise. So, so ultimately what I would say to you is train yourself and train your kids on the things that they're going to need to know. Don't waste too much time on nonsense. I mean, it's, it's absolutely baffling to me. It's, it's so insane to me how much stuff how many problems could be solved in people's lives with the simple Google searches that they don't even do, right? Or using even AI or just basic stuff you could have taught them in 10 minutes that would save them a lifetime of misery. How many women out here are just stressed out because they don't understand how their upbringing, their fatherless upbringing led them to chase around these, these nasty ass rappers who got STDs and abandon your kids and, you know, whatever, right? <clears throat> or or these men who are chasing a big button, a smile, and then end up in all these situations where they hate their baby's mama and all this other stuff, right? Like learning these things early and then learning emotional intelligence and discipline can go a very long way to creating the life that you want. Uh, but the problem that I have, the challenge for people like me is that the world encourages you not to be disciplined. The world tells you that people like me who encourage you to be disciplined, that we're bad and we're we're dangerous and that we're whatever. And I'm like, what's dangerous about me telling you to, to get your financial security straight? Like what's dangerous about me telling you to get your mental health right so you can be happy? What's dangerous about me telling you, like, no, 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 big pharma is not your friend. Uh, you know, big, th these big food corporations ain't your friend. Learn how to eat healthy. Learn how to do things that are preventative so you don't end up having to lose all your money to uh, buy me expensive medication that, that's allegedly going to manage your illness until they, they leave you, let you die broke. Right. What 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 is dangerous about me saying, you know, if if the black woman that you meet is not the right one for you, then find the right kind of woman and learn how to treat her well. Like there's nothing bad about that. It's only dangerous because it's different and it's dangerous because it actually empowers you. You see, society does not want to see an empowered black community. Society does not want to see black people that are independent, but society does not want to see black men and black women loving each other. Society does not want to see uh, black men and women that are wealthy and successful. I could show you how to, things you could do in five minutes that will put your family wealth above the average white person. It's easy. I'm smarter than they are in terms of wealth. I know this stuff really well. I was trained among the best. 
There's so many simple things you could do that are not part of the culture that I really want to encourage you to consider so you can really get to where you want to get to. So when I'm screaming and hollering, I know sometimes I sound like a jerk. I know I make a lot of people mad, you know, and I and I and I can't help it. It's just the asshole in me. Maybe it's because I'm traumatized. and I'm still working through that. God is not through with me yet. I am not perfect. However, just understand that my best intention is to say, Let's have these conversations and let's have them regularly so that our kids are not falling right into traps that are easily preventable. Let's the next time a Suge Knight comes along and there's going to be another one. There's another Suge Knight out there somewhere. There's some young black man who has a billion dollar opportunity in front of him. Let's mentor these kids so that when they get that opportunity, they're going to make the right decision instead of the wrong decision. They're going to protect the generational wealth instead of handing it all over to their oppressor. They're going to live a long, prosperous life instead of having a, a, a little bit of fun for about two years and then a life of misery. Suge Knight I imagine being in prison is miserable right now because he's still in his mind. He's still a genius. He's still a king. He's still a boss. But now he's the boss of the prison yard. Now he's the king of, you know, the king of the jail cell. Right. That's got to be just not just humiliating, but just sad because he's probably old enough now. I'm going to be willing to guess. Again, I can't speak for sugar. I'm not here to speculate too much, but I'm willing to bet you that when he's sitting there in that meditative space, I bet you that his reflection level has has heightened much more than it was when he was with death row because everything was happening around him. Now it's just him and his choices all in a jail cell together. And I bet you that he probably has a long list of regrets that maybe he'll never even admit to. That's what I believe. And I don't want you to get to that point before you figure it out. I want you to figure it out before you get to that point. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Give me a yes if you agree with me. Give me a yes if you understand. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, we have a social media platform. As you guys know, I had some problems with Instagram. I had half a million people that follow me on Instagram. So somebody, somebody's out here listening, right? Somebody's listening. I, I, not many professors can get half a million Instagram followers, but and I was one of them. And so they 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 killed my Instagram, I guess, because I'd be talking too pro-black or telling too many truths. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I do have another Instagram. Dr. Boyce Finance. However, we do have another social media platform we're building away from Instagram, away from Facebook. I'm tired of building for Zuckerberg and the other Bergs. I want to build for, for you. And so we created something called B1Nation.us. Be the number one nation.us. So uh, feel free to go to uh, B1Nation.us. And uh, Feet Funkerson, did I make you a moderator? Because uh, because somebody says I gave him the wrench by mistake. If, if I did that, you know what? I'm, I, I'm going to try it again. Okay. So, so I hope that I that I made you a moderator, Feet Funkerson. Let me know, Feet Funkerson, if you're a moderator now, because somebody says I, I made I, I made the wrong person a moderator. And DDS, are you a you're a moderator, right? DDS. Okay, so give me a yes, Feet Funkerson, if you're a moderator, because see, I'm up here messing everything up. So y'all got if y'all will give me one second to make sure I didn't totally screw up my YouTube channel. You got it now. Okay, great. DDS, are you a moderator too, man? All right, I, I see you telling me that I, I made the wrong person a mod. By the way, if y'all want to ever get, if y'all ever have a message for me that you need to get to me or something, my email is manager at boycewalkins.com. So you can email my manager. Okay. So Chris Carr says he got it. Okay. Uh, me, myself says I don't want all that power in my hands. Okay. I, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take it off your hands. All right. So DDS. Okay. DDS is the moderator and feet Funkerson. Okay. Thank you all uh, very much for protecting the channel. I really appreciate y'all very, very much. And, uh, and I love you a hundred percent. And so let me go ahead and close up this conversation and just sort of summarize this so you, we can walk away with something in terms of learning from, uh, from, uh, from Suge Knight, who again is a brilliant guy who had an amazing opportunity 
And unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes when God will bless us and we don't see the power of the blessing and then it ends up leading to a lot of loss. You know, if you look at that picture of Suge in, uh, in front of Biggie and Pac, you know, Biggie and Pac are together in the picture. Suge is not. He was transposed in this picture. But you just think about this, right? These are three black men who easily should have and could have been billionaires in 2023. Three black men who easily could have and should have been billionaires in 2023. Right. So I, I want you to process the lost potential there. Right. I want you to think about how. Imagine if imagine if these guys were like, you know, little Boyce Watkinses, right? Imagine if um, imagine if they all were listening to somebody like me every day on this podcast, right? Not to put myself on any pedestal, but I am a finance professor, whatever. I don't have any I don't I'm not ashamed of that. But imagine if these guys were raised in that tradition, like imagine if every day as Biggie was rising up the ranks and taking over the world, he was listening to boy. He had Boyce Watkins in his ear every step of the way. Like when you get the wealth and power, here's what you do with it. Hip hop, it influences the subconscious mind. Hip hop uh, is one of the most powerful art forms in the history of the world. You have access to massive amounts of capital that could change people's lives. Like I was a fan of all these guys. See, I and, I, and if you want to know my, it almost seems like an obsession. Uh, it is a little bit of an obsession because I was in that era. They're all about my age. All these guys are about the same age as me. And it makes me sad because I saw them. I was in graduate school when all this was happening. I bought Tupac's albums when they, as soon as they came out. I bought Biggie's albums as soon as they came out. I remember seeing the picture of Death Row Records with the, the guy in the electric chair. Don't ask me why I thought that was like a gangster logo or whatever. I, I loved it. It was crazy, right? But that tells you the mindset at that time. At that time, black men were getting killed and sent to prison on a regular basis. So somehow we thought that was cool when really, obviously, we were celebrating death. But still, it was great to watch, right? But I want you to really think about this for a minute. Just process this for a minute. Biggie, Pac, and Suge Knight should all be alive. They should all be grandfathers, and they should all be billionaires. As Kanye said in one of his lyrics, he said, a billionaire is a thousand millionaires. A billionaire is a thousand millionaires. So one millionaire is a big deal, but a thousand millionaires can change a whole community. So imagine if these three guys, so imagine it also, uh, in addition to Biggie, Pac, and Suge, imagine if these guys all survived and all became billionaires. And they also were listening to Boyce Watkins their whole entire life. I was writing articles at the University of Kentucky back in 1995. I was writing articles and the University of Kentucky basketball players were reading my articles where I was explaining how many billions of dollars the NCAA is making off of black athletes. And, and I explained very logically why they should get a cut and why it was racism that that black families were being left to starve while white coaches were making all this money. So the players will read those articles and they would come see me. They would bring the black assistant coaches would sneak and bring the players to see me in my office like like they were going to to like on some sort of retreat to visit the Dalai Lama or something. Not that I'm on, not that I was like that. I'm not saying that that's me, but that's what it was. They were like, you need to talk to Boyce Watkins because he's got some insights on things. And I agree. I did not disagree. I, I, I said, yeah, thank you for bringing him, because you got to understand the power that's in your hands. You got to understand the power of the black athlete. You must understand the power of the black rapper. You need to understand the power of the economics that's, that's being, that's sort of being sucked out of your community in a way where, where we're very proud of what we seem to have accomplished, but actually they are financially raping us. They are extracting wealth that could be used to trans, to just really transform an entire community that can literally take us to the next level. So, so I want you to just imagine what a Biggie Pac and Suge Knight were all free, 
and healthy. And imagine if back in the 1990s they were reading Boyce Watkins articles. My articles, my, my shit was dangerous. I'm not going to lie. They, they, it was so dangerous that Coach Rick, one of the players told me, Coach Rick Patino and the staff told them, do not read the articles from this man. Right. Because he's just a troublemaker. Right. And so I said, I must be making an impact if they are going out of their way to tell you not to seek out this truth. I mean, my, there was nothing. They, they couldn't argue against me. They couldn't. It wasn't like they could beat, beat me in a debate. I had truth on my side. I had facts on my side. I was getting a Ph.D. in finance so I could break down the financials unlike anything they'd ever seen. So and also I was a black man. Right. So so effectively, this is what it was. So imagine if instead of me just listening to Biggie. You know, the, the 10 crack commandments, right? And instead of me just listening to Pac, I want tonight, I'm straight right. You don't want to up with me. Imagine if I was able to rap in their ear the same way they were rapping in my ear. Imagine what these guys would have done with that knowledge. Biggie would probably be like Elon Musk. He'd be employing 500,000 people, mostly black, and literally doing billion-dollar projects in areas like construction and aeronautics and stuff like that, maybe Tupac would have expanded beyond rap and became one of the biggest business moguls in the country. Maybe he'd be like Jeff Bezos and running an Amazon and employing 800,000 people. I believe Suge Knight, Suge Knight, again, I told you, Suge was a genius. Suge's a genius. Suge ain't no stupid man. Suge Knight would have took his balls and brains and would have been one of the most powerful people in the entire music industry. You know, it's so, so here's the thing, right? So so I think that it's okay when intelligent black people are listening to the rappers, but I think the rappers should also be listening to intelligent black people. There, and, and this is something, I'm going to speak on this out loud just because it's, it's on my mind. It's a Saturday night and I feel okay sharing this. Whenever a big name celebrity has reached out to me for independent direct advice and applied even a fraction of the ideas that we've expressed on this platform, the outcome has always been explosive. It has been absolutely explosive and legendary and to another level. You have no idea of, of, of just the, the, the impact on the world that, that occurred when Kanye West reached out and we got on the phone and I told him to share ideas from Powernomics. When Ice Cube and I were talking as he's negotiating with Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And I'm saying to him about, you know, he calls me right after his CNN interview and with, with, I forgot who the white guy was, Chris Cuomo or something. And, and I'm like, well, I think you should talk about this. I think that if you bring up that, it, 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 it rocked the freaking world. Right. Um, when Charlemagne, the God sent me a text and said, I'm interviewing Joe Biden. What are some things that you, that you think I should ask? Joe Biden flipped out like that, like white supremacy melts in the face of black intelligence, when, when, when black men and women, when we show up and we are courageous, when we value ourselves and we are knowledgeable about how the world operates, they can't handle that. It, it, dis, it dismantles the whole system. The system goes haywire. The whole machine overheats because they're like, wait, we're not used to dealing with this. We're used to dealing with sheep. We, we, we don't know how to deal with intelligent lions. We're used to dealing with people who follow the crowd, not people who lead the charge. We're used to dealing with people that are that are way behind, not people that are way ahead. It freaks them out. So 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 the, the, so so this is why 
And I'm not going to just talk about myself in this way. It sounds arrogant. I don't want to do that. I, I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be arrogant. Um, but but this is also why they will amplify certain voices, the ignorant voices in, in media when it comes to black people, but they mute the intelligent voices. They don't want to hear from the Dr. Claude Anderson's. They don't want to hear from the Boyce Watkins's. They don't want to hear from people that think like this. They want to hear from the people that want to just bullshit and party. That's what they want. Right. And then next thing you know, they're leading you down this rabbit hole of bad choices and bad decisions and wasted opportunities. Next thing you know, years later, Tupac's dead. Biggie's dead. Suge Knight's in jail. Death Row, dead. Diddy, about to be sued out of his ass. Seriously, go down the list. R. Kelly, in prison. DMX, dead. Whitney Houston, dead. It, it, you can keep on going down the list. So, so I think that one strategy that's going to work, it's not that it could work. It's going to work. It's going to work because I don't quit and, 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 we're, and we're smart enough to get this done. One strategy that's going to work is you're going to have a day where more black people are listening to intelligent voices than listening to the ignorance. I, I believe that at some point, and it relates to access to capital, it relates to media, it's st the structure, the democratization of media, it relates to a lot of factors. But over time, I believe that in 50 to 100 years, our kids and grandkids will be doing things that you and I can only dream of. And that's what I'm pro thinking about. That's why I created Project 2070. I didn't want to, back in 2013, we started Project 2070. Because I said, I don't want to deal with the BS that's happening in 2013 and 2014. I want to think about what we can do if we are consistent for the next 60 years. And here we are in year 13, actually. I said 2013, actually it was 2010. Here we are in year 13, and you've already seen a transformation in the culture. You're already seeing everybody talking about black wealth, and, and it's become an entire industry. Industries, once they mature, become very powerful. So you don't understand. You're in the infancy of all this. You're in the beginning. You're in the you're in the part where the McDonald's brothers just figured out how to make a cheeseburger and, and fries fast enough to to to, to serve it in, in under two minutes. Right. You're 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 back in. The, you're like this. This whole revolution, this whole black economic revolution, in my view, is about at the place where McDonald's was in about 1946. That's what it is. So you can't see what it's going. It's like what the NFL was in 1939. Right? It's it's not you, you're not even seeing the good stuff yet. Right. So but but I'm convinced that at least within a segment of our community, you're going to just see some amazing outcomes that are just going to absolutely blow your mind. And I'm very excited about that. I can see the future and the future is bright. So don't don't despair in the community. I know we see a lot of nonsense. We see a lot of ratchetness. We see a lot of bad choices. And that should be analyzed and dissected. But eventually black intelligence always wins. And you just cannot quit. You cannot give up. You must plant those seeds. You have to follow the models, follow the procedure. And I guarantee you that your kids and grandkids are going to take it to another level. All right. So anyway, I'm done talking. Uh, I want to summarize by saying I think Suge Knight's a, a smart guy. Um, I hate the death row records didn't become what it could have been. Um, I think that there's a lot of lessons to learn. The documentary so far from what I've seen appears to be quite good. I am going to finish watching it tonight because I'm a big fan just of all of that. Right. So anyway, uh, hit that thumbs up button. Can you all hit that thumbs up button? Share, subscribe. 
a reminder, in the Black Business School, we do free Powernomics training every Wednesday night. Uh, we just ask you, if you join, could you please share your membership with your family, uh, share it with your kids, bring your grandkids, your, your grandparents, anybody you want to bring, anybody in your family that wants to understand the culture of economic power. Uh, join us Wednesday night. We do this every Wednesday night at 830. You can also get free access to my life class. It's a $1,000 value. It's yours absolutely free. Just go to blackkeystogreatness.com. The URL is on the screen, blackkeystogreatness.com. Also, if you want to get profit alerts on stocks that I like, stuff like that, there are plenty. So right now, the stock market's on fire, by the way. If you haven't been paying attention, the stock market's been absolutely killing it. You can text the word stock to 89748. If somebody can text it real quick and let me know if it's working, uh, because it's a new uh, text number. It's 89748. Uh, let me know if it's working. If, you have, if you're already on the list, it won't work for you. But if you're not on the list, if you text stock to 89748, let me know if it went through or if you already did it. Uh, Clarence Wilson, I see you said yes. Okay, so I hope that you, I hope you're saying that yes, it does work because it's a new number and it, the number was something else and it changed. And also Dr. Alicia actually has a text list where she sends out mental health uh, support, uh, relationship management, support, uh, support on things like financial anxiety, stuff like that. Uh, if you want to get on her list, you can text the word wellness, all one word to eight, nine, seven, four, eight. And, uh, you can get some things from Dr. Alicia because we created the black financial therapy department because we felt that the black community can use a lot of help when it comes to being on the cutting edge of mental health so that we can then get on the cutting edge of physical and financial health, that they're, they're all connected, right? So I want I want you to have all that. Okay, so anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. God bless you. I hope you have a great night, and uh, I will see you all very, very soon, and I will talk to you later. Take care now. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money and the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.